Chapter Twenty Four of Red Diamonds by Justin McCarthy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Carolyn. Chapter Twenty Four, An Interview. Mister Hiram Boringer was perplexed. It was not often that the weather-worn mariner found himself at fault, but just now he confessed to himself that he was puzzled he thought that he had seen a certain thing done he thought that he recognized a certain face but he could not be absolutely sure of the one and he could not put a name to the other when he returned to the herb shop on the evening of his meeting with raven he was still meditative he sat by mrs boringer's fireplace smoking a privilege always accorded to hiram and as he smoked he thought and thought deeply presently after what he would have called a long trick of silence he turned his mahogany-hued face towards mrs boringer and put some of his thoughts into words susan he asked who was the man who left your shop this afternoon just before i came to it mrs boringer paused in her occupation of sticking specimens of plants into an elaborate hortus siccus and reflected for the moment she could not recollect that any one in particular had come in hiram jogged her memory a tall dark man with dead-looking eyes he suggested the words brought up the man to mrs boringer's mind why that was mr bostock she said mr bostock hiram repeated after her thoughtfully the name brought no familiar suggestion to his mind mr bostock and who may mr bostock be lydia now saw her opportunity and stepped into the conversation mr bostock uncle is the fencing-master at lady scardale's college he teaches me fencing does he though said hiram looking at his pretty niece admiringly i should like to see you at it my dear why so you can uncle any day you please if you only let me know i'll tell lady scardale there is a fencing lesson every day and of course you'll go and see lady scardale anyhow hiram said mrs boringer so you can do the two things at once if you like she knew that hiram was not a man who was readily induced to pay visits even to such friends as lady scardale quite so said hiram quite so then his mind went back to the original problem he blew a great cloud of smoke out in front of him watched it vanish in feathery films up the wall and then looking at lydia this time he asked what sort of man may this bostock happen to be it was lydia whom he addressed but it was mrs boringer who answered for my part she said i don't like him at all hiram smiled slightly 
he knew mrs borringer's decided opinions but he still looked at lydia and still interrogated her what do you think of mr bostock lydia my dear lydia hesitated i think he is a very good fencer she said after a pause yes yes persisted hiram but apart from his fencing which is his business in life and that he does that business well is so far a good mark for him what sort of man is he really uncle said lydia i hardly know i think i am inclined to agree with mother he's not sweet on you i hope hiram asked lydia laughed no indeed i think mr bostock has given what he is pleased to call his heart elsewhere where child mrs borringer asked well said lydia of course i don't know but i think from the way in which he sometimes looks at fidelia who is fidelia interrupted hiram fidelia is fidelia Locke, a great friend of lady scardale's and one of our principals lydia answered hiram mused for a while does this mr bostock he asked at last does he live at the college lydia shook her head oh no uncle of course not he lives in bolingbroke gardens battersea thirteen q bolingbroke gardens added mrs borringer who loved accuracy even in small details oh indeed said hiram then he relapsed into silence again after which he began to talk of other things of some recent experiences in his travels of a wonderful talking parrot he had seen in a saloon at lago he chatted away for half an hour then he shook out his pipe and said he thought he'd be going home so early said mrs borringer in surprise but hiram answered that he was sleepy that he was tired that he had had a long day and was curious to feel himself aped on dry land again where are you staying mrs borringer asked a question she had quite forgotten to put before hiram's comings and goings were always so sudden and unexpected that they knocked her sober workaday habits of thought to pieces i'm quite handy susan hiram answered i've put up at the cardigan hotel in sloane street you could almost call me if you wanted me and like as not i'll come around in the morning for breakfast he kissed the two women and went downstairs lydia followed him and let him out as he stood in the doorway he patted her on the cheek i like your young man he said cordially and as far as i can see everything promises a favourable voyage susan tells me he's going to be very rich yes uncle dreadfully rich i'm so sorry don't say that lass hiram urged money has its uses as well as its abuses and if it comes to that 
you shouldn't have wanted for a little yourself if your young man hadn't a penny good-night my dear hiram stepped out into the darkness waved his hand to lydia and sheered briskly off lydia looked after him for a moment and then closed the door and went upstairs to her mother i think your uncle has something on his mind mrs borringer said to lydia as the girl came back into the room mrs borringer was quite right hiram had something on his mind and if she could have seen him now his conduct would have much bewildered her for instead of steering direct for sloane street and the cadogan hotel he went straight forward till he came to the first turning on the right which led him to bolingbroke gardens bolingbroke gardens is a big barrack-like sort of place let out into innumerable little flats some of which are very comfortable all of which are more or less cheap there were a great many doors leading to different sets of flats after a little hunting hiram discovered the particular door which opened on the common stair conducting to flat thirteen q hiram ascended the stairs steadily like a man who is resolved upon his cause he had a good many stairs to ascend for number thirteen q was at the very top of the house but he found it at last a small narrow door with a small narrow knocker and thirteen q painted upon it in small narrow letters hiram lifted the small knocker and knocked sharply immediately he heard sounds of feet inside and the door was opened by bostock himself bostock looked with some surprise at the unfamiliar face dimly revealed to him by the small point of light in the lamp that served for illumination to the small hall or landing hiram peered with much curiosity into bostock's face mr bostock i believe he said that is my name bostock answered still standing in the doorway and bearing ingress with his body oh no it isn't hiram said to himself what he said aloud for bostock to hear was can you spare me a few minutes private conversation i have something important to say to you did the wretched lamp flicker or did bostock's face change a little hiram could not be sure the voice was certainly unchanged from its habitual composure as bostock said by all means come in as he spoke he drew the door back and motioned to his visitor to enter hiram passed by him into a little room poorly furnished which served for bostock's sitting-room the fencing-master lived here quite by himself in a small flat of three rooms he did any cooking he needed for himself 
and the place was kept clean by an attendant harpy in the form of an elderly charwoman who filled the same kind offices for other persons whose way of life was as simple or as limited as that of bostock bostock motioned hiram to a chair he did not seem to be in the least surprised by the unexpected visit or the lateness of the hour if hiram had been a looked-for and welcome guest bostock could not have seemed less surprised at his presence hiram sitting down glanced around the room quickly noted its meagre furniture noted a few fencing plates upon the wall noted a few books in the hanging bookcase noted the complete absence of any attempt at decoration at ornament of any kind bostock standing rested his hand on the table and looked at him hiram was used to the scrutiny of human eyes but the impassive composure of that gaze puzzled and slightly irritated him bostock spoke first to what he asked with grave formality do i owe the honour of this visit hiram rested the palms of both hands on his knees and leaning forward looked bostock full in the face haven't we met before messmate he asked it is quite possible bostock answered coldly i do not recollect i have met many people i never forget faces said hiram though i sometimes forget names didn't i come across you once in naples i have been in naples certainly said bostock still without the least trace of interest in his voice i was at naples some years ago in the pursuit of my profession there is good fencing to be found in naples there are many things to be found in naples said hiram then he paused as if reflecting what he should say next bostock took advantage of the pause and said very likely but i do not see what this has got to do with me softly messmate softly said hiram waving a lean strong mahogany hand at him a hand whose wrist was adorned with a kind of chain of shaped curves tattooed in blue i am coming to that all in good time pray do not hurry yourself bostock said politely but with just a suggestion of increased animation in his dark eyes he shifted his attitude so as to lean on a little table which stood against the wall and with his left hand he very quietly drew the drawer slightly open do you remember a sort of dancing-shop and drinking-shop at naples down by the bay in the worst part of the town a place with a coarse sign of a wine-bottle and some lingo in praise of wine and women scrawled under it no said bostock i do not remember any such place my business in naples took me into no such haunts 
his hand had now slipped into the drawer and the fingers were closing over something inside the drawer didn't they indeed said hiram perhaps not perhaps not did you ever happen to have a brother with another name than bostock no don't move or i'll shoot you where you stand and hiram lifting his hand from his pocket levelled a revolver at bostock bostock remained motionless he spoke without a trace of excitement my good sir he said if you are not a madman i cannot conceive what you mean by asking me these extraordinary questions and making these extraordinary threats do you want to rob me you can see that i am not worth robbing do you want to blackmail me you will not succeed i have nothing that i want to conceal hiram whistled you are a cool hand he said but i thought perhaps you were feeling in that drawer for the knife you used so well that night bostock shrugged his shoulders what night he asked i don't know what you are talking about i mean said hiram a night some five or six years ago i was in the drinking-shop so were you or your own brother for likeness there was a row because one of the girls there liked a swedish sailor better than you and drank out of his glass and wouldn't drink out of yours there was a row between some sailors and there was a shindy and the lights were put out and when the lights were lit again the scandinavian sailor had a knife in his neck and you had vanished and i'll swear you flung that knife from the corner where you stood for i struck a match in the darkness and saw your face and your hand lifted and heard the man groan bostock laughed slightly this is almost too ridiculous he said who and what are you to come here and talk this nonsense what have your drunken escapades to do with me just this said hiram coolly that we know a man by his manners and yours were very disagreeable manners then and i don't believe they've mended much since what were you doing in mrs borgia's shop this afternoon i don't admit your right to question me bostock answered but the answer is so easy it is not worth while not to give it i was in mrs borgia's shop this afternoon asking from her skill for some kind of sleeping draught quite so said hiram he now withdrew his left hand from the pocket where it lay and drew out a small white package with some writing on it is that the sleeping draught he held the package out across the table bostock leaned quietly forward and looked at it i do not see how that could possibly be anything intended for me he said i perceive that it is addressed to captain raven so it is right again hiram drew back his hand and dropped the package into his pocket again that is addressed to captain raven and was intended to reach its address bostock shrugged his shoulders 
i presume so what has this to do with me he was leaning back against the table again but now both his hands hung freely at his sides i suppose you don't know what is in that packet hiram asked watching bostock's face closely as he spoke but watch as closely as he might he could detect no shade of change in bostock's face how should i know what is in that packet bostock asked with the least suggestion of irritation in his voice i am not endowed with the gift of second sight first sight is good enough for me hiram answered sharply when you were in mrs borringer's shop this afternoon i came up and saw you through the window handling that packet i thought i knew your face and i guessed you were up to no good now i find that this packet which was intended to convey a harmless medicament does in reality contain a very violent poison what is the meaning of all this bostock asked when hiram stopped speaking do you mean to suggest that i put the violent poison into that packet that is exactly what i do mean to suggest hiram said bostock burst out laughing a harsh cheerless disagreeable laugh you are absurd quite absurd why on earth should i want to send poison to captain raven that is just what i don't know and just what i mean to find out said hiram don't you think said bostock that you are making rather a fool of yourself that is to say if all this is not a deliberate plant which is very possible if there is poison in that packet that is mrs borringer's blunder it is just the sort of mistake a woman would make if she dabbled in medicine and if i were you i should keep this matter to myself the law does not look with very favourable eye upon amateur practitioners especially when they make such a blunder as to substitute a deadly poison for a harmless powder hiram's face glowed with anger do you mean to suggest that mrs borringer could make such a mistake as that he asked i mean to suggest nothing at all bostock replied you come to me with a packet which you say contains poison i know that mrs borringer was making up some packet for captain raven i think too though i know nothing of herbs and their properties that i could tell the very drawer from which she took the powder that she used if she made such an unfortunate blunder as to substitute poison for something really harmless i am sorry for her and i should suggest that the sooner she suspended her illegal traffic the better for her and certainly the better for fools who trust to her but i can at least congratulate captain raven on his escape hiram was nonplussed he had certainly seen bostock as he thought handling the packet but bostock's answer was very ingenuous and hiram knew well how readily people would accept the suggestion of a herbalist's blunder he glanced down on the ground for a moment in perplexity in that moment 
bostock had slipped his hand into the open drawer and taken out a revolver which he pointed at hiram now he said it is my turn to dictate hiram looked at the levelled weapon and made no effort to move or to raise his hand i have not the least desire to shoot you said bostock but i have every desire to defend my life and every desire to be quit of your company so you will oblige me very much by taking yourself off and also by not honouring me with any further visits hiram got up and slipped his own pistol into his pocket you are a smart man mr bostock he said maybe a trifle too smart we shall see bostock yawned i wish you would go away he said wearily your little plot has failed and you naturally feel annoyed good evening hiram went to the door and opened it then he turned around and faced bostock you shall hear from me again i hope not bostock answered good night he turned away indifferently and hiram passing out opened the flat door and drawing it angrily after him descended the stairs he could not help feeling that he had made rather a muddle of the business and feeling so he felt angry with himself bostock's absolute composure bewildered him he had certainly seen the man as he thought holding the packet in his hands refolding it as it seemed to him that in itself would not have surprised him if he had not in the one swift glance he gave into the shop which he had approached softly and stooping in the hope of seeing mrs borringer inside and surprising her felt convinced that he recognized the man's face as one familiar to him in some former villainy his suspicions had led him to test the contents of the packet and had shown that they were poisonous but was it possible after all that mrs borringer could have blundered susan of all women in the world no it was not possible but at the same time it was practically impossible to bring the business home to bostock and he felt that in acting as he had done he had gone too far and had put a wary and dangerous antagonist on his guard it was in no very contented frame of mind therefore that hiram emerged from the main door of the buildings in which bostock's flat was situated it was in no very contented frame of mind that he proceeded to walk slowly in the direction of sloane street the question was what he ought to do next he would keep his eye on bostock he promised himself as far as lay in his power but he could not make up his mind whether he ought to warn people against him or not probably the warning would be believed but at the same time bostock's answer was a ready and possible explanation and one which if anybody accepted it would certainly cause susan borringer much pain so hiram drifted along the street with his hands in his pockets woefully puzzled 
but bostock left alone in his little meagre room stood still after hiram had left him counting hiram's footsteps going down the stairs the look of indifference which his face had worn during that interview fell away from him like a mask and now he was all eagerness all intensity all alertness all sorts of schemes flashed through his mind to be dismissed as quickly as they arose suddenly he seemed to decide upon something and turned to go into his bedroom as he did so he noticed that he was still holding the revolver in his hand he laughed again the same cheerless laugh that had grated upon hiram's ears confound those things he muttered as he put it back into the drawer from which he had taken it if they were only noiseless then he went into his bedroom and took from the wardrobe a dingy grey overcoat he put the coat on and a soft felt hat then he went to his front door opened it cautiously and looked out all was quiet he slipped out on to the landing and drew his door softly behind him then he went very quietly down the stairs at the last landing but one he paused for a moment in the darkness a clock began to strike loudly at the last stroke the figure of bostock slipped out of the main doorway of the building and moved swiftly in the direction that hiram boringer had taken hiram was about to enter his hotel when he felt himself touched on the shoulder looking around he saw to his surprise that bostock was standing by his side i beg your pardon bostock said but there was one thing i forgot to say to you just now well said hiram what is it just this you have made to my face a very grave charge against me that charge i have answered if you intend to repeat that charge to other persons i think it is only right that you should give me warning that i may at least say to them what i have said to you and leave them to judge between us hiram looked steadily at bostock and bostock looked steadily back at him well hiram said that seems fair enough i suspect you of course because of an imaginary resemblance bostock interrupted nothing imaginary about it hiram said gravely it's just barely possible you may not be the man i saw at naples but you are confoundedly like him that proves nothing said bostock almost angrily i think it is most unfair to bring such a charge against me on such flimsy fantastic grounds but if you do bring the charge against me bring it openly as a man should that i may meet it openly as a man should he spoke eagerly with a voice full of indignation hiram was a little impressed well he said i can say this much if i want to speak of this to any one else i will give you fair warning that i am going to do so 
bostock caught his hand and pressed it warmly thank you he said thank you that is all i ask that you should suspect me graves me and indeed surprises me but that i cannot help bring your charge against me when you please i shall not be afraid to meet it i am quite willing to let captain raven judge for himself well said hiram i have said what i have said i do suspect you rightly or wrongly i shall keep my eye on you and if i find that my suspicions are justified look out for yourself but if i speak to any one about this i shall let you know that i am going to do so i ask no more said bostock and i expect no less he spoke now with a voice that seemed to tremble with pain and indignation i do not envy you your suspicious nature and your promptness to form false impressions you should be a better judge of character than that good-night bostock turned on his heel and walked slowly away in the direction by which he had come hiram stood looking after him for a few minutes and whistled softly to himself i wonder if i have made a big mistake i have half a mind to run over to naples and see if i could find out anything there hiram left london that evening after taking a farewell of lydia and susan boringer they were so used to his appearances and disappearances that they were not in the least surprised they took it as a matter of course and said good-bye to him on his journey to naples with as much composure as if he had announced his intention of taking an omnibus to putney chapter twenty four